Welcome to Blaze and Access, connecting the community to the disabled world. I'm Blaze Bryant. Facebook.com slash Blaze and Shows. That's B-L-A-I-S-I-N Shows. Same with Twitter and my brand new website where I have launched or dropped some new shows. BlazinShows.com. Hope all is well as we're going to hear about employing people with disabilities and from a Special Olympics athlete. We'll start with the athlete side of things. A very good friend of mine, Peter Daly, who is a Special Olympics athlete for both swimming and figure skating, joined me in the summer of 2018. We started off our really one-of-a-kind chat, as they always are with Peter, talking about how he found out about Special Olympics. I actually found out about it from a friend from high school, actually, back in like 2001. 2001. Wow. That just made yeah, me I feel really young. I Olympics were doing track and field. <laughs> oh, really? That's who I started for the Olympics. And that was a lot of fun. And then I ended up doing swimming and basketball. And then I went into figure skating as well. Oh, wow. Wow. That's a lot of fun. So, so did you do the figure skating first then? Um, I do that too in the winter months. Right, right. Um, and then uh, when did you start doing the swimming? I've been doing the swimming since I was in, I would say, high school as well. With that. I've been doing that for years, and then I just keep taking it a far level. Awesome. And and I was honored <laughs> to be picked to go to the USA Games this summer because of it. Wow, and uh, congratulations to you. I mean, that... Uh, you know, it's really something. Uh, did you ever think, you probably never thought you'd be, you know, on that stage, did you? It was a huge deal to be able to get up on that stage. I couldn't believe I got the opportunity to do it. I have to say, I've known how good of a swimmer Peter is for a really long time. Uh, we met at a Camp Abilities, which is a sports camp uh, for people who are blind. And uh, Peter and I, we had competitions, you know, since we were Hello. kids. And you yeah, beat me most of the time. Yeah, and almost everything. You you beat me in swimming most of the time. Well, yes. <laughs> this is very true. Uh, you remember the day where we both were, uh, where we both swam a mile? Yes, I do. It was so much fun. And one day we were swimming water for a time class. Yeah. And that was really cool. We, <laughs> we, we went on and on for one whole day, the whole second hour of just treading water. Yeah. I mean, and, and then, uh, and then we, we swam for like four hours that day. We swam for four hours, you know, just trying to beat each other. <laughs> yeah, it was just nuts how we did that. It was so much. And they finally had to cut us off because we, they didn't want us to waste any more time, apparently. We were having too much fun. <laughs> Uh, and 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 they were still doing that to us uh, at the Special Olympics <laughs> just a few and days I, ago. I remember when, when my coach had to hold my legs up because I didn't want to stop swimming, and I, I had a leg cramp. Oh wow! You I didn't know about the leg cramp. Yeah, I had my legs cramped up one day, and and literally actually had to hold my legs up from so I wouldn't sink because I was swimming. Was this in Brockport or in Arizona? This was in Rockwell back when he was my family. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, for full, uh, you know, just to, you know, 
keep people up to speed on what we're talking about. Uh, Murray was a was a coach, a counselor at the Camp Abilities Brockport, where Peter and I met, and then I became uh, the camp director of the Camp Abilities Tucson. So let's get back to uh, you know the Special Olympics and the swimming and stuff like that. What did you think of the setup here uh, in Albany? I thought it was pretty good. I wish we could have watched the whole thing and just pushed out of the pool area as we were rotating. Yeah. But but you were telling me that it was better than, uh, you know, some other places before, right? Yes, it was definitely better than last year when I was out there at Liverpool. Good. So have you had to swim anywhere else then, uh, you know, for the summer games besides, like, the Albany area? I had to, I was the only, I had to swim back here in Rochester for the local competition before that. And then I had to come out to Albany, and then I'm going to the same game. So USA games after that. It was a three different competitions. Wow! And uh, the Rochester gets catch me in the middle. <laughs> yeah. you, you you did a you did a camp abilities out in Tucson, and then and then these competitions, and then a camp, and then and then uh, you're going to be out in Washington. I mean, how are you feeling? And then I'll come back and do another camp around here after that. So. <laughs> I mean, I know the answer to this question, but maybe not necessarily everyone, not necessarily everyone else does. But when will you sleep? Um, I don't sleep much. I have about four days this week to recover. But I ended up playing with my cousin a lot, playing kickball, and then I was helping my grandma pull brush and clean up and that stuff. So I didn't get a whole lot of sleep much this week, this week, but a little bit. <laughs> But I know when I go to Blackboard, I'll only get about five hours of sleep if I'm lucky. Right. Well, I have a feeling you'll be sleeping the whole way out to Washington, though. I might be at the right things are going. Because <laughs> when I went to Arizona, I literally had sick of most sleep I had was five and a half hours. So is the the Nationals for the swimming, is that your last uh, Is that your last thing? That's my last competition. It's held this winter when I go back to figure skating. Now... Those are very different. Um, which one do yes, you like better? Are. That's a tough call. I think figure skating is a little bit, I like a little bit better only because I can show more talent and more do more tricks and stuff. But swimming, you can only have set strokes you have to do. That's you know that, that's that's a fair point and uh, you know a little bit more craziness to it and you know <laughs> you like that. You can be more crazy. You can be more creative with skating versus you know, the rules you have to follow. The more creative and the more crazy something is, the more Peter likes it. Yeah, like those days when we play Crazy Showdown together, that was so much fun. Yes, yes, and Showdown is a game, uh, it, it's like a wooden, it, it, it's it's kind of like air hockey. Uh, it's a ball with a bell in it, and uh, it's played on a wooden table. Both uh, players are blindfolded. Uh, to make it equal, uh, it's a game that was started in Sweden, and uh, the ball has these little rattlers in it, and you hit the ball with the paddles. And uh, yeah, Peter and I, we'd have some uh, pretty intense games of uh, of showdown, and uh, you know there were times we kept making up new rules. For yes, and yeah. Like one day we tried to hit over. We were playing. We had to hit over the board that you're supposed to hit below to try to make it into <laughs> into a score. Yeah. I, I remember one day we had to wear helmets because it got so crazy. I had never had to duck so fast in my life. 
It was so out of this world craziness. That ball was right by my left ear. I just heard this. Yeah, I heard it go fly my face in my ears so many times it wasn't fun. <laughs> and then, you know, as it usually is with you and I, we got cut off. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, we did. Some of the other campers are trying to keep up with our level. I, I'm trying to teach them how to play most intense. <laughs> but it never worked. <laughs> it, it's worked to some degree, but never quite to our level. <laughs> well... You you and I were on a different level. I mean, we weren't the best athletes and whatnot, but I mean, we, we were certainly the craziest, you know, you know back <laughs> yeah, when we were young. We were most competitive, and it hasn't changed a whole lot since we've grown up. No. <laughs> you know, which is why we've always been able to be such, uh, <clears throat> you know, good friends through it all, too, which is, uh, you know, really, really awesome. Very special. Yeah, because that doesn't happen too often. You know, people will compete against each other brutally and still cheer each other on at the same time. Yep, yep. No, you're you're right. I mean... Most of the time, people are like enemies when they are trying to win. I want you to tell the story of when you were driving me on the tandem bike out at Brockport. Okay, at Brockport, they wanted us to prove I could, could take a camper out on, on the tandem to, I, to, to, to prove myself to all the other coaches, I took Blaze out in a gym, around the gym, on a tandem bike, driving as pretty fast around the gym to, to, that was, to just show them how well I could control a bike. <laughs> Everybody was like in awe of the, how well I could control it and how fast I could still go. <laughs> Yeah, and and then they, they were telling you, you you kept going outside the lines because it was literally one blind guy leading the other. Yeah. Kind of like that day when you guys were out in Arizona when, when you were out with one of the other crazy challenges and having almost crashed, if you remember. Yeah. <laughs> when they tried to race me. Yeah. We had an athlete. Yeah. <laughs> That was very interesting the day they decided to race me and my athlete against me with their athlete. That was, and Blaze saw that, saw that one going on. And <laughs> we almost, they crashed almost into a fence and I just kept on going. <laughs> it's more like you practically drove them into the fence. Let's, <laughs> you know. I don't know about that one. You but. drove them into the fence. <laughs> <laughs> That was a wild day, and that was so much fun. Yes, it was. Well, final thing, um, because, uh, you know, we're just about out of time here. Uh, you know, how can how can people, you know, regardless of where they are, get involved with the Special Olympics? You can actually look up Special Olympics New York, and they and you can always, they're always looking for volunteers at all the events that they have going around all year long. And I actually have polar plunges and stuff that you can do all year if you want to raise money. You can actually jump in a freezing cold lake all every winter, anywhere in the whole state. And you've and done that too, right? I've done that now 20 times since 2007. 20 times? I've gone across the You've done it 20 I've times? I've gone across the state. Wow. Yes. I've gone to Syracuse, Buffalo, Staten Island, Ithaca, and the Rochester, 
Cola plunges. Now, which one had the coldest water? Um, Rochester one because of the timing of when they hold it. When's that, in like February? Yep, that's like the second week in February. Well, there you go. Well, there you have it. Rochester it, has the coldest water. And normally it's, they have to take a back hole and dig a hole in the ice to let us go in. <laughs> and then it probably freezes over like within a week. Yes, they make mounds of ice around with, and then you all run in the water and the ice is still floating in the water most of the time. And, all, and it's normally over 2,000 people run in the water. Wow. Wow. And it's so much fun, and you get a sweatshirt when you raise so much money, and the more you raise, the more prizes you win. Wow, that's really cool. So, you know, if you're looking for a way, you know, to get a bone-chilling experience during the winter while helping a great cause, uh, the Polar Plunges are a good way. And uh, if you just click on the Special Olympics New York uh, tag that's in the description, uh, they'll take you right to where you need to go. Well, Peter. And they're always looking for fans at all their events. So you can always come cheer on EMSM at all the events across the state. And I got to tell you, it was such such a cool experience being able to be there and just hearing, you know, all these fans, you know, rooting on, you know, everyone. It, it was just the coolest thing. There was no no dissing of anyone. It really, you know, in a, in a world that is just... So full of negative energy and all that stuff really, really was a truly uplifting experience. That's what makes Special Olympics what it is and why it's so special. Peter Daly from the summer of 2018. A few weeks ago, I had Kevin Broussard. Well, I should say we replayed a conversation from a few years ago. During that conversation, he talked about a TED Talk he put together. And here is said talk, courtesy of TEDx Colorado Springs. Thank you. I want you to think about the typical American work week. You got 40 hours a week, nine to five, five days a week. That's what we have decided as a society to be the best way to maximize our resources. Now imagine if one day a week, you and the rest of your coworkers were replaced by people who were not properly trained or educated and had no previous experience in your field. What would happen? What would happen to your business? Well, your profits would go down, productivity would decrease, and you'd be at risk of losing your business. You might ask yourself, who would allow this to happen? Who would allow 20% of its resources to not be fully utilized? That's precisely what's happening right now in our country with our disabled population. It's because one in five Americans today live with a disability, making up the largest minority group in the whole country but they're not receiving the same opportunities and and acceptance that everyone else does. The proof is in the pudding. If you're a high school disabled student, you're twice as likely not to graduate. If you're lucky enough to go on to college, you are half as likely to graduate from college. People who are disabled are four times more likely to not have a job. And what this boils down to is society's view on disabled people. And really there's a stigma around disability. And it boils down to the general public being uncomfortable around people with disabilities. You see this every day when the wheelchair user is going down the street and people are blatantly staring at them. Or people talk to me like I'm a five-year-old because I have a cane in my hand. These are common everyday occurrences for people with disabilities. You wouldn't treat anybody else that way. But again, these are common occurrences. 
Like many people with a disability, finding acceptance for me growing up was nearly impossible. I was born with a rare retinal disease called Stargardt's, and I've been legally blind since birth. Being a, a blind kid in a visual world is tough enough, but things were made even worse when I started going to school. From the second I walked onto the school campus at five years old, I was bullied, teased, and tormented because of my disability. I can remember my first bully. His name was Evan, and he was in kindergarten. We were in kindergarten together. And uh, one day, Evan came up from behind me, and he yelled out the name that my classmate had so affectionately given me, which was Blind Kid. He came up from behind me and yelled, hey, Blind Kid. And as I turned around, he socked me square in the face. Now, this wasn't because of something I had done to Evan. I hadn't taken his lunch or stolen his favorite toy. He did it simply because I was different, because of something I had no control over. When you're a kid growing up, you're, you're figuring out who you are, your personality, you're growing your self-confidence. But instead, I was being told I was worthless, subhuman, and deserved to be disabled. And when you hear that day after day after day, you start to believe it. You really do. Most days after school, I would come home crying because of what had happened at school and anticipating the torment coming the next day. It got to the point when um, I was nine years old, I was in fourth grade, and I wanted to kill myself. I'll never forget the conversation I had at the dinner table with my parents one night after a particularly rough day of bullying, and I told them that I wanted to kill myself. Now that's something that no parent should ever have to hear, let alone from a nine-year-old. That's truly how I felt at the time, and that's how I felt for most of my childhood. I was going down a really deep and dark path with, with no end in sight, really. When I got to high school, I was really nervous. I was going to a new school, I had very little friends, and I was afraid the bullies would latch on to me again. So I decided to join a sports team to make some more friends and kind of insert myself in the social scene. So I decided to join the uh, track and field team and throw the shot put in discus. Uh, I can recall going to the head track coach and be like, hey, I'm a blind person and I want to throw a shot put in discus. Hmm, a blind person out there with shots and discs flying around. What could go wrong, right? But after talking a couple of times, I was able to convince him to let me join the team. Now, my freshman year in high school in track, I stunk up the room. I was the worst thrower on the team by far. But that year, I met a person who really altered the course of my life. He was a volunteer by the name of Coach Corbett. He was our throwing coach. And Coach Corbett gave me something that up until that point in my life, I never have had. He gave me a chance, he believed in me, and he treated me like everybody else on the team. He saw past my disability, the thing that society has deemed an irreversible barrier. So he applauded me when I did well, but he got on my case when I deserved it too. My sophomore year, I started slowly improving and I was middle of the pack. All of a sudden, all the coaching and, and tips from Coach Corbett just clicked, and I went from middle of the pack to top of the conference. At the end of that year, I had taken second place in the conference in the shot put. Coach Corbett's belief in me helped me realize all the things I could do. As a disabled person, like I mentioned before, as a kid, you're told all these things you can't do, and that's the things you focus on. A person like Coach Corbett helped me focus on my abilities. So sure, there's some limitations to my eyesight. I can't drive, I can't recognize people, 
The Army's not recruiting me anytime soon to be a sniper. Although the NFL has asked me to be a referee several times. <laughs> but that mindset, that attitude that Coach Corbett, a volunteer, helped me change, it just altered the course of my entire life. When I started getting good in track and field, I knew I had found my passion, the thing I was good at, the thing that I was going to use to propel my life forward. Shortly thereafter, I started competing internationally for the blind in track and field. And I've gone on to win three world titles, and I hold the American record in the discus. Currently, I train in judo at the Olympic Training Center in town, and got the best coaches and facilities in the entire country. And I've been able to travel the world and experience things I never thought were possible as a kid because of one person's selfless act to look beyond my disability. What volunteers like Coach Corbett do are vitally important to shaping people or young people with disabilities, but it's also a huge impact on adults who experience disability later in life. I've witnessed that through my work. I work for a nationwide nonprofit that provides sports and physical activity opportunities for the blind and visually impaired. One of our annual events is in Vermont. We do a ski event there, and we usually have about 30 blind skiers and 100 ski volunteers that make sure all of our athletes are guided down the hill safely. One of the athletes this past year was a former Marine. He was overseas in Afghanistan in 2010, and an IED explosion took out his battalion. While he survived, the explosion left him totally blind in both eyes. I had talked to this gentleman before the event, and he had told me that after his explosion, he never thought he'd be able to ski again. It was one of the favorite activities him and his wife used to do together before the explosion. So let's fast forward to the event. It's day one. He's out there with his guides. First day, easing back into it on the bunny slopes. Imagine going down a ski hill with no vision. You might take it slow, too. Day two, though, he was out there zipping down huge black diamond mountains with a smile as big as the mountain. Day three, volunteers taught his wife how to guide him so they could ski together in the future, just like they did before his accident. So again, it goes back to all the barriers that are put on people with disabilities, the things we can't do. So sure, it's reasonable to think that if you're totally blind, you're not going to be able to ski. But imagine having that thought process, and then imagine conquering a mountain with no sight. There's nothing you can't do. What I witnessed that trip was a man regaining his confidence, regaining his competitiveness, and regaining the love for the things he did before his explosion. That was all made possible because of volunteers giving up a small amount of their time. And I truly believe that every single one of us humans has an innate urge to help others and leave a lasting impact on this world. Some of us can find that through our professions, whether it's being a doctor or a nurse or a teacher, but others are still looking for that way that they too can impact people. I challenge you all to take a page out of Coach Corbett's book and enable the disabled. Enable them by volunteering for local nonprofits that serve the disabled and support their programs through donations. Finding these groups is as easy as doing a quick Google search for local nonprofits in your area. I guarantee you have some and I guarantee there's an outlet for you, no matter what your passion is, whether it's education, arts, or sports, or what have you. And you might be fearful of being around disabled people, like we talked about, that discomfort. 
But I encourage you to get over that fear. The same way that disabled people challenge their fears every day by living in a society that doesn't accept them. Think back to that person that had a profound impact on your life, shaping who you are. Maybe it was a teacher or a coach or a mentor. You now have that same opportunity to impact somebody's life. By supporting these groups that serve the disabled, you are impacting the largest minority group in the entire country through peer support, acceptance, providing opportunities they wouldn't otherwise receive. I would love to stand up here and tell you that disabled people are all doing great and we don't need your help, but that's just not the truth. While there are many cases of disabled people achieving success, there is a large group of disabled people who are not even scratching the surface of their potential. This again goes back to the stigma in society. Being a disabled person right now in our society is like being a shunned worker in a hostile work environment. How can we expect you to be productive if nobody wants to work with you, your coworkers aren't comfortable around you, and you're not receiving the same opportunities as everybody else? It's nearly impossible. That's why it's up to all of us to change that hostile environment into a warm, welcoming environment where people are embraced for their skills and given opportunities, not because we have to, but because we want to. You'll be enabling a group of people who desperately want to be contributing members of society, but have been told time and time again they can't. Be the person that shows them they can. Be the person that helps them realize their potentials and helps them achieve their goals. I was able to achieve one of my goals about a year ago. I was in Seoul, Korea for the World Championships for the Blind. And I had just won my second world title in the discus that day, and I had broken the American record too. I was standing on top of the medal podium, the gold medal around my neck, American national anthem booming throughout this 50,000 seat stadium. And I started thinking back to how far I had come to get to that point. From the kid who cried himself to sleep every night, to the nine-year-old who wanted to kill himself. Then I thought about all the people that came into my life who, who believed in me. They gave me a chance, they gave me their time, and they gave me a new lease on life. For a long time, this right here is what defined me. I was the blind kid. But because of those people coming in and seeing past my disability, this right here, that no longer defines me. Because of those people going the extra mile and making sure I reach my potential, this right here is what defines me. I wouldn't be alive today if it weren't for all those things. I wouldn't be alive today if it weren't for all those people who help redefine who I am. You all have that power too, and I recommend you use it. Thank you. That's all the time we have. Thanks for listening to Blaze and Access, connecting the community to the disabled world. What do you think? Let me know at facebook.com slash shows. That's B-L-A-I-S-I-N shows. On Twitter at Blazin' Shows or email me at blazinshows at gmail.com. You can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts and at my website, blazinshows.com. To quote the late Christopher Reeve, 
A hero is an ordinary individual who finds the strength to persevere and endure in spite of overwhelming obstacles. Take care of yourself, and we'll talk again next week. On Blaze and Access, I'm Blaze Bryant.